Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth said, was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. And surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise that he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and returned. then returned to her home. Thanks, BJ. There we go. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. Um, we have these fancy new stands that can do this. Isn't that great? Um, the little things in life, you know. Um, One of the things I really enjoy about the Bible is that it gives us both the science and the art of having a relationship with God. Um, Let let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, The science of having a relationship with God. There's certain parts of the Bible, like Paul's writings, for instance. We went through a series on Galatians, um, his letter to the Galatians, and it's very much describing how things work right? Kind of dissecting everything. You get to the, the science of a relationship with God. And so it talks about justification by faith, and it talks about our identity in Christ and adoption as sons of God, and, and kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how it all fits together. But there's other parts of the Bible that are, that are a lot more about uh, the art of having a relationship with God. And so if, if you read through the Psalms, you hear David just crying out from his heart to the Lord, you know, and it, it, so, so Paul tends to be this very left-brain, science-oriented thing. Other parts of the Bible are much more kind of right-brained um, art of, of having a relationship with God, and our passage today um, that we're looking at, what BJ just read for us, is very much that second approach. It's very much the art of having a relationship with God, and so Luke is giving us an opportunity here in this um, to enter into this, this wonder and, and this experience of worship with um, these two ladies, with Mary and Elizabeth and, and what's happening here. And so we're going to see what, um, just the beauty of what God's doing with these two women. And we get to kind of experience with them, kind of vicariously through them, uh, their joy in this moment. 
and um, hopefully we'll allow their worship to become our worship as, as we consider this. Um, we're going to look at this story. It's really broken down to two parts. You have um, Mary visiting Elizabeth, and then you have Mary's song of praise, and so we'll explore that. But um, as, as we do this, let's, let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, oh, you are so good and so worthy of our worship. And Lord, as we consider these scriptures, uh, this, this passage of scripture this morning, um, Lord, it's such an amazing story, um, amazing moment in history of, of what you were doing, your work there in that place, that time. Um, Father, I pray that it would be, this would be more than words on a page for us. Lord, I pray that this would stir our affections and once more lead us to worship you. Um, Father, we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. So the story opens with Mary showing up at Elizabeth's house and hurrying off to go see her. And the reason for that is what we read last week. So context, last week we were looking at this story of Gabriel, the angel, his announcement to Mary that she was going to have a baby, which is amazing because she is a virgin, and that also her relative Elizabeth, who is in her old age and who had been barren, is also going to have a baby. And so Mary's excited about this. She doesn't have a cell phone. And so she rushes off, Um, rushes off. It's a two to three day journey. And so she goes to see Elizabeth. And when she arrives, we just have this amazing moment of of their joy together in this time. And um, it's worth pointing out here, just an interesting theme in the Bible you know, God is intervening on behalf of these women. Um, neither one of them should have been able to have a baby in this moment um, based on their situation. And yet this is a theme throughout the Bible. And so we can go through the Old Testament and see several examples. It's, it's interesting that all of the patriarchs, those, those three men, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them were married to women who it says were barren. And so you have um, Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, all three of them were barren, and then God intervened and allowed them to have, um, have babies. And, and the same thing happened, Samson, mighty Samson, his mom was barren, and then the Lord intervened and answered prayer. Um, Samuel the prophet, his mother Hannah, and so the, the first um, two chapters of, of 1 Samuel are about her story of how she was crying out to the Lord to give her a child, and God blessed her with a son. And so um, it's just an interesting uh, theme through the Bible. I think there's a couple things I'd, I'd point out there. One is that God is the giver of life. God can grant life anytime he wants to. And so he, he created the world, breathed life into Adam. Um, he can just as easily give life at any point he wants to. Uh, Another thing you see is that God cares about these women. You know, they're crying out to God, and God hears their prayer and answers. But there's also, I think, something more going on, and that's some really cool foreshadowing. Because in the Old Testament, anytime there's a woman, it says, this woman was barren, she could not have a child, and she cries out to God, and God gives her a child, pay attention to that child because something's going to happen 
Um, that person's going to be important. And so that happens again and again. And um, all of that leads to Mary, who absolutely should not be able to have a child. And her child is very important. So it's just an interesting theme. So, so Mary shows up here with Elizabeth, enters the house, and we have this joyous moment. And notice who the first person is to rejoice. It's not Mary. It's actually not Elizabeth. It's the baby in her womb. John rejoices. This is John the Baptist, it says, who leaps in her womb. So let me, let me read a few verses. Uh, 39, I'll start at. Luke verse, chapter 1, verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just a really cool scene. Um, according to verse 44, uh, the, the baby leaped with joy in the womb. And this is really, this moment is confirmation of what we read earlier in, in Luke, which is Gabriel's announcement. Gabriel announced that this, this child that Elizabeth was going to have would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And so here you have this, you know, John is, is with the Holy Spirit able to leap for joy in this moment, um, even before he's born. And so he's, he's the forerunner of Jesus. He's coming to announce the, the, the coming of Jesus, the, the king. And it's amazing that, um, you know, he's not even born yet. And he seems to be like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to do it. So he leaps for joy. Um, Elizabeth then is filled with the Spirit. She responds with joy. And consider what she says here in verse 42 and 43. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, Blessed is the fruit of your womb, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? She, she refers to Mary. Now, now, Mary just walked in, so, so imagine, put yourself in this situation. Mary walks in and greets her. Elizabeth feels the baby leap for joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately calls her the mother of my Lord. How did she know? What was it that allowed her to know? Well, some of it is the announcement that she heard from the angel. Your son, John, is going to be the forerunner of, of the one to come. And so she, she knows that much. <laughs> she has a bit of confirmation from, from the baby. Um, you also have the fact that the Holy Spirit is filling her and giving her the, the understanding to, to recognize. And so she says... Blessed is the fruit of your womb, right? Children are a blessing from the Lord, but it's more than that. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. You have a really special baby. That's what she's saying. And she recognizes that this amazing reality, you know, this, this question she asks, it's rhetorical. She's not asking for an answer. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's just marveling at the privilege that's been extended to her that she gets to be the one to meet the mother of the Messiah. And so she's just marveling at this. She's overwhelmed by it. And then we get Mary's response. And you know, they're, they're different. Elizabeth's response, she's focused on, this is an amazing moment in history, right? 
because the Messiah, whom they've been expecting for hundreds of years, is coming and is, is about to be here. And so she's marveling at the moment, but look at what Mary does. What Mary does is focus entirely on God. Um, her, her whole, everything she says here, <laughs> the, the subject of every sentence, basically, is about God. And so um, let, let's just look at this, and, and this is where I want to spend the majority of our time, is just considering what Mary had to say here. Um, consider the words that she had to say and consider what she is telling us about God. So let's look at verse 46 and following. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will, be, will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. You know, we learn a few things about Mary here. Um, Previously, we didn't know much about her. She was from an obscure town. She's a virgin. We don't know much about her. But, man, we discover this is a girl with a deep personal relationship with God. Um, An amazing faith. Uh, Several times here she says, my soul, my spirit. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. It's, she's recognizing her personal relationship and connection with God and what he's doing for her. Um, she calls herself the servant of the Lord. That's actually the second time because back when she was talking to Gabriel, the angel, she calls herself the servant of the Lord. But then I, this is what I really want to point out is she, this girl knew her Bible. She really, her her. Everything she says here is just saturated with the Old Testament. It just sounds like an Old Testament psalm. But the interesting thing is she's not quoting any Old Testament psalm. Uh, this is, none of what she says is a direct quote from the Old Testament, which is fascinating because you would think <laughs> she easily could have. Um, but she, everything she says sounds like it's directly out of the Old Testament. So, so her thinking has been shaped by the Bible. She has a biblical view of God. And um, it's interesting. She she knows the character of God. She knows His promises to His people. And everything that she says comes through that way. Um, Jesus, later, will say that it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And that's what you see with Mary, is that she has stored up Scripture in her heart it's, she's apparently treasured these things, and so she's able to speak because her mind, her heart, has, is shaped by these things. Um, just a side thought. How, how would she have known the Scriptures so well? Peggy. Okay, so she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's true. Yeah. Um, but but she, she had something to draw from, right? She, she had a... Had, some stuff stored up there. And, and I think, the, you know, the, the obvious thing to point to is she probably had godly parents who were teaching her God's word along the way. And so she's, she's able in this moment to draw on that, that heritage of what she has. Um, I, I had opportunity, um, went with the Baber family to the Coram Deo Christmas concert this last week. And it was really fun. Um, it was a great Christmas concert. It was the elementary school kids. And so, you know, there's a few kids off key a little bit, you know, and, and there's, there's a little bit of that going on. But I'll tell you what most impressed me that night was um, 
they had the first grade class, and they're cute. They're like eight little five and six year olds, you know? And um, they had the first grade class up there, and they recited Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, from memory, which is awesome. <laughs> and they did, and they had hand motions and the whole bit, you know, and all that. But they, they did Luke 2, 1 through 14. Now, this is five and six year olds. And what that tells me is we have no excuse. <laughs> so if a five year old who can't hardly stand still can memorize that many verses, um, we ought to be able to as well. So anyway, um, Mary, Mary had hidden these things in her heart, and it just comes through, and so she just exudes the goodness and the greatness of God. And so as we look at these verses, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Um, she's, she's speaking our language here. right? This ought to be the language of every Christian, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Um, she knows that God is the Savior, the one who cares for the lowly. And, and put yourself in her shoes. I mean, th- this incredible reality that the Almighty God would extend personal favor to, to this humble girl in an obscure town. Uh, what an amazing thing for Mary to know that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Um, how many of you know that song, Mary, Did You Know? How many of you have heard it maybe a couple too many times, maybe? Okay, so um, in that song it says, Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. You know, it's an interesting thought. How much did Mary know? And she, she uses this phrase, God my Savior, which, which again, this is, this is Old Testament language. You know, they, they frequently saw God act on their behalf and save them. They knew God as their Savior. Did she recognize that the Messiah, her son, would be God my Savior? Right? Maybe not. Um, but man, it's, it's intriguing because, because a lot of what she says, you know, seems like she, she understands quite a bit. Uh, what we do know is that she has a really good grasp on the character of God. Um, look at what she goes on to say. Um, uh, verse 48 and following. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She lists several things about God. First, he's mighty. He is able to act on behalf of his people. And and it's a good perspective that she has that God is mighty and she's a humble servant. Usually where we get messed up is when God is smaller and, and people are bigger she recognizes God is mighty, and she is a humble servant. She says, holy is his name, which points to God's perfect righteousness and purity, his unapproachable glory. And so she recognizes that he is mighty and he is holy, but then she points to his mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And man, that that last part's good news, because if God is mighty... And God is holy, but not merciful. 
we're in big trouble, <laughs> right? But, but the reality is that God is a merciful God. And so even though He is mighty and holy, He's also merciful. And it's a theme that's, the, the Old Testament is just rich with this theme. So let me I just stop and smell the roses. I'm going to read a few verses here. Um, Deuteronomy 4, 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 108, 4. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Right? Why are we okay <laughs> with God? It's because God is faithful and does not change. He is, he is a merciful God, and because He does not change, it's a good thing that He is mighty and holy <laughs> because He's also merciful. And so she just, she's pointing to, to all these rich truths about God and that's really the gospel, isn't it? The God who is mighty and holy is also merciful to us, that He has extended mercy to us. And that's really what the, the rest of Luke's gospel is all about, is the, the good news of what Christ does in coming and living a sinless life and offering, bringing salvation through His death and His resurrection. And so God is merciful, and, and we just see that language here. Um, God is mighty, He's holy, He's merciful. And then we read on, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. Now, I what I want to point out in these verses is the providence of God. So, providence is this idea that God provides for creation, that he, the, the creation He made, that He continues to oversee it and, and generously care for it and, and sustain it. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism d- describes it this way. This was written a very long time ago. What is the providence of God? It is the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So God is the king over all things. He's intimately involved with his creation. And so he raises up some kings and he brings others down. He scatters the proud, sends the rich away empty, but exalts those of humble estate, fills the hungry with good things. And what Mary's pointing to is that God's in control of everything. Everything in creation, God oversees And it's not just that God looks and sees the arrogance of the proud, 
but also that he does something about it. Um, she says here, he has shown strength with his arm, which is this beautiful imagery that, um, again, shows up in the Psalms, that God does something in his strength. He brings down the mighty from their th- thrones. And you can go through the Old Testament and see lots of examples of this. So, so God wants to redeem his people, Israel, out of Egypt, but Pharaoh is proud in his heart, and God steps in and humbles Pharaoh and takes the people, um, basically forces Pharaoh's hand there. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is a great example. Nebuchadnezzar, who's, who's king of Babylon, who in his heart takes credit for every good thing that he has. And um, God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it's a just fascinating story. Um, Nebuchadnezzar seems to have a mental breakdown or something and goes out and lives in the wilderness for seven times, um, seven seasons, maybe seven years. And he's out in the, in the wilderness until he's humbled and recognizes God, and then God restores him to his throne. Uh, lots of examples, but, but the point is that in all of these things, God is the one running the, everything, and God is able to humble even the arrogant. Um, let me read a couple more verses here. Psalm, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 45, 7. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Um, another passage that shows God in his, in his power, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And he's describing here this, this rebellion against God, ultimately against the Messiah. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And how does God respond? Like, is God bothered by this? Well, it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The, the picture here is that God is mighty. He is exalted. He is powerful. And that's the imagery that, that Mary is bringing to us in this song, is she just recognizes the greatness of God. Um, she says, he has exalted those of humble estate. And then she says, he has filled the hungry with good things. It's interesting. She has this view of, of God in his great might, you know, the almighty creator of the universe who invented the very air we breathe. That same God cares about the humble and the lowly. Um, what she says here is actually pretty similar in, in this spot to what Hannah says. So Hannah prays for a son. God blesses her with Samuel. Hannah prays this song of praise pretty similar. And look at what 1 Samuel 2.8 says. This is Hannah speaking. She says, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. Hannah recognizes the same thing, that God provides for those who are of, of a humble position. And so um, he says he's filled the hungry with good things. 
and the rich he has sent away empty, those awful rich people. Um, it's worth pointing out here. The, the Bible does not universally condemn rich people, um, in case any of you happen to be rich. Um, the, the Bible doesn't condemn rich people. What it does is it condemns rich people who in their heart feel that they don't need God, that, that are self-reliant and, and don't recognize their deep dependence on the Lord. Those are the ones that God has a problem with. Um, there, there are actually examples of good rich people in the Bible. Um, but, but what Mary's pointing to is this deep dependence that she has upon the Lord, that we all ought to have upon the Lord. And then look at how she ends here. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God is faithful to his promises. And one of the interesting things is, is how Mary says this. Did, have you noticed that all of this is past tense? Everything she's said here is he has helped his servant Israel. Um, he has done these things. Um, this, is, this is sort of the way sports fans talk. Okay, I don't know if you've ever noticed this phenomenon. Um, sports fans will be like, they did it again. They won the championship. They, it's, yeah, it's all over, you know. And it's like the third game of the season or something, you know. But, but they're like talking like, this is a done deal. My team won. It's awesome, you know. This is how Mary's talking, um, and it's actually a, kind of a common theme in the, or a common uh, pattern in the Bible that you'll have prophecy given in the past tense. It, it's given in the past tense because it's as if God has already done this. You know, she says, he has helped his servant Israel um, just as he promised. Well, the baby's still in the womb, right? She, she's probably not even very far along at this point. And so she's already speaking as if this is a done deal. The Messiah has come. He has rectified every problem that they had. He has made it all right. And um, she's able to speak of it as a, as a done deal. God has helped his servant Israel, just as he promised he would. So, so just look at the things that Mary points out about God. The Lord is mighty. He is holy. He is merciful. He is strong, he is good, he is faithful. And in all of this, you know, the, the thing that comes through the most for Mary is that he cares about her, right? The, the staggering character of God who, who in his great might and in his great power actually cares about a humble girl like her from an obscure town, um, he blesses her so richly that all generations will take note of her and call her blessed. And it's just this amazing recognition. Now, how does that relate to us? Um, nobody in here is going to give birth to the Messiah. I'm quite confident of this. And yet, consider um, this reality. Uh, the privilege given to Mary is not a greater privilege than what we have. What we have been given in Christ is salvation. The, the very thing that Mary speaks of, that He is God my Savior. That, that the, the child born in that manger, you know, all those centuries ago, um, who lived a perfect life, who died, 
gave his life on the cross, um, that was for us, right? And so Mary's language here, you know, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's, that's something we can relate to, right? That's, that's something that we enter into. Um, we're going to take communion here in a moment. Um, one of the main ways that we remind ourselves that God is our Savior is through communion. We do that on a weekly basis. Dan explained a little bit of, about that last week. But it is this vivid picture, it's this imagery of what Christ has done for us. And I don't know about you, but I personally need to be reminded of spiritual truths on a regular basis. And so it's a good reminder for us to remember of what God did to save us. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Um, I've spent this whole time talking about the goodness, the righteousness of our God. What a crazy thought that God makes us to be the righteousness of God in Christ, that He extends His righteousness to us. Um, When we take communion, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. We are remembering not just the infant in the manger, but the God-man who lived his life perfectly, who died on a cross to save us from our sins.